Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. You're here this morning. I'm grateful to be celebrating Easter with you. And I just want to have a moment where we pray together and then we'll open uh, God's word to the book of John. That's where we're going to be. So uh, let's have a moment where we pray. Uh, Father, the story that's on tap today is your story. And so I pray that um, through the words that will appear on the page to us and come to our eyes, that that would be something that uh, we would really get. I mean, that this story is about you. As much as we in our lives intersect with it and get intertwined with it, really this story, this profound story, is about you. And so I pray, Father, that you would set yourself um, on display before us. And God, you would set aside distractions and put things down that need to be put down in order that we could have a few minutes where we focus here. And I pray um, in that way that as we do so, that you would uh, help us to see, really see, not as much with physical eyes as with spiritual eyes, so that we could um, uh, understand who you are and what you've done for us and the, the profound nature of what we're celebrating today uniquely. So we give you that now, and I ask by your spirit to bring clarity and power to your word, and I ask that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. If, you're, um, uh, if you have a copy of your Bible, we're going to be, as I said, in the book of John. It's chapter 20. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, there's some on the sides of the booth back there. Feel free to go grab one if you need to grab one. If you need to take a Bible with you because you don't have one that you can read and understand, go right ahead. That's our gift to you. If you want um, uh, just to borrow it, feel free to do that. And um, if you are a user of the Bible app, you can find our live event there um, by searching by geography or by linking off of one of our social media sites. Um, And you can find that and then follow along with the scriptures and the sermon notes and all the stuff that goes with that. So um, John uh, chapter 20. Now I want to, before, I I should say not before, but as we kind of jump in, uh, I want to just recognize a couple of things, okay? Uh, Number one, some of you uh, have come this morning to celebrate Easter. Every Sunday is an Easter Sunday in some profound way because we are celebrating that Jesus is alive and he's reigning and ruling over everything. But today is uniquely a special Sunday uh, as we call it Easter Sunday. We are specifically focusing on Easter and some of you have come to celebrate. Uh, Some of you have come to placate. (laughs) You've got somebody who's like, you come to church with me, right? Right, 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 right. Grab you by the ear, pull you along. However you got here, uh, I'm grateful. I I really am. Uh, But I did want to recognize that some of you have come uh, for maybe that reason. Some of you have come uh, because you've come to explore. Hey, listen, it would be I've got some questions about life and, and about how I am supposed to live and, and, and engage with the world around me. And it seems like Jesus has some pretty good answer, pretty good answers to some pretty important questions. And, and some of you have come maybe for somebody else. And like I said, it may be somebody sitting right next to you or uh, maybe a generational thing like, yeah, man, my kids need to know about this. However you've come this morning, I want to tell you two things. Number one, we're really, really glad you're, you're here. And secondly, uh, it's no accident that you are here. That the God of the universe has brought these things to me. And you're sitting in the chair that you're sitting today, not by chance or accident, but because uh, uh, God wants to speak to you today. And you may, well, I don't know about me. Yes, he wants to speak to you. And so that's where we are in John chapter 20. If you have questions, doubts, concerns, problems, you're in good company as we'll read. You ready? Verse chapter 20, verse 19. 
On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were, so we'll talk about that in just a second, uh, uh, they were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now let's just pause right there for just a second and talk about what we have going on here. Uh, the disciples are huddled in a room. They're scared about the uh, uh, kind of religious and political forces that are after them, chasing them. So they're in hiding. They've locked the door. And uh, uh, Jesus just shows up in the middle of it. Now, that's, that, is, that is a profound statement. And then it says, I mean, it would be enough that Jesus just showed up. But then he says, and then he showed him his hands and his side. Now, why is that important? Because um, Jesus had died and he had been crucified. And so he had scars there um, where the nails had gone through. And after he had died, he had been pierced in his side um, uh, where, with a spear. And so he's like, hey, yeah, look. Here's what I got. This is, it's me, people. It's me. And here, I'm not a ghost. Here are my scars. And so I wanted to just put two words before us this morning from this story. Uh, and we'll read some more in just a second. But the first word is the word scars. Anybody have any scars in here you want to admit to? Okay, good. Some of us have scars that we don't want to admit to. Yes. Uh, I, I, I will say I've got this, um, I've got one on my knee from a bike wreck and this little bitty scar. That's a terrible story. I was trying to roll up an umbrella on our patio and the handle broke and it scratched me and it's right there. Everybody. No, stop, stop really. Stop. Everybody else in my family has legitimate scars, okay? Like, I mean, profound, legitimate scars. I've got this little weenie thing right here. I mean, that's it. Um, some of you have really profound scars, you know, things that you've survived, um, uh, uh, things that you've had to walk through, surgeries, whatever. And some of you work to hide those scars, and some of you work to show off those scars. In fact, if you sit down, you're like, hey, man, tell me about that scar. It's a little bit like asking about somebody's tattoo. Uh, they'll go, tell me about that tattoo. And they're like, what, what tattoo are you talking about? Or they'll go, oh yeah, man, check it out. Some of you are like that with your scars. Oh yeah, let me tell you about it. This is the time that my arm got cut off and then they had to sew it back on. Right. Scars. Uh, they, they tell a story. And in this particular case, the scars that Jesus is showing off tell a profound story. And the story, the, the, the question, let me ask it this way. Uh, let me say it this way with a question. Uh, why did he have scars in the first place? This is intricately um, connected to his story, his life story. You sit down with Jesus and you're like, tell me about those scars. He's like, oh, let me tell you about these scars. Why did he have them in the first place? The, the answer is that it's because he died in our place and for our sins. In our place and for our sins. You and I, as people who are imperfect, people who are broken, people who are messed up, people who fail not only um, our own selves but those around us, we, we are committed to, in some way, we are committed to um, ourselves. And so that leads us to sin. We don't acknowledge God as who he is. We don't recognize him for who he is. We don't follow him in a way that we, he says we should. And so the Bible calls that sin. And because there is sin, there is a fracture in the relationship, a, 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 a disconnect, if you will, and there is punishment that is due. And everybody gets this because when something wrong goes against us, what do we want for the other person? Not mercy. We want a baseball bat. We want justice or better. 
right? And in this particular case, you and I are the ones who have sinned now against God. And justice is demanded. He can't sweep it under the rug, otherwise he's not just. Can you imagine if there was a judge sitting on the bench with some horrific offender before him or her, and, and, and the judge just bangs the gavel and goes, eh, this is no big deal. Go on about your business. Thanks so much. You would go, what? In the same way, God is not going to be unjust. The, the sin that you and I have committed and the fracture that is the result of that demands a just response. And the, the, the payment that has to be made is death. He died in our place. You and I deserve that, not Jesus. And he died for our sins. The reason he has scars is because, and this is earlier in the book, chapter 19, he, um, Jesus, went to the cross for you and for me. They, they pierced him, hands, feet, side, and he bled and he died the death that we deserved to die. He died in our place and for our sins. Justice demanded a punishment. Um, and, and that punishment was death. And thankfully, Jesus stepped into our place and he stepped into uh, and accomplished for us what we could not do on our own. Now, one of the questions that comes back to me as a pastor goes something like this. Uh, yeah, I, I get it that Jesus would die for some of these people. Um, or I get it that Jesus would die for some of my sin. But I got some really dark sins. Like, I got some bad stuff that I've done, that I've thought, that I've felt, that I've acted upon. I have great news for you. The scars of Jesus mean that he didn't carry some of your sin. He did not carry the sin that people know about, the sin that people have found out about, the sin that you want to tell somebody about, or the sin, uh, uh, or the, the sin that you are thinking maybe about right now. He didn't die for some of your sin. He died for all of your sin. And if you are a Christian in here, you're a follower of Jesus in here, one major point of celebration, get up, dance, wave something around, throw something in the air. One major point of celebration is there is no sin that you have committed that Jesus has not died for. Not one. There is nothing that he hasn't covered by his sacrifice. Why did he have scars? Because he died in our place and for our sin. And if you're not a follower of Jesus in here, just know that every sin that you've ever committed and all the shame that goes with it and all the guilt that follows, all of that can be washed away and you could be made clean as you put um, your trust in Jesus. So Jesus even said this of himself. Um, uh, people have testified to this about him uh, earlier in the book of John uh, one of the guys says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus himself said in a different part of the Bible, he said, I have come to lay my life down as a ransom for many. See, why did he have scars? Because he died in our place and for our sin. He, his whole life, listen, his whole life was defined by these scars. That's the whole reason he came. His whole life was defined by these scars so that our lives don't have to be defined by ours. All of the hurt, all of the sin, all of the shame that have marked us, Jesus, Jesus can deal with. He can carry for us. And so, 
the, the story here is that Jesus came and he stood among them. He says, peace be with you. And then in verse 20, he said this. He showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I, I, I want to um, ask a follow-up question. So why did he have them? That's one question. But the second question goes something like this. Like, why did he keep them? Uh, because the Christian story doesn't end with death. The Christian story ends with resurrection. So Jesus um, has died. And as we've been singing about all morning, he then comes back from the dead. And so here's the profound thing to me. I mean, this is, it, it hit me pretty hard. Like Jesus kept the scars. Now, I mean, if you had a bad day and then you got up from that bad day, you would do everything that you can to erase the memories of the bad day, Right? That's why you get up and do your hair. That's why you get up or whatever it is that you iron your pants, whatever it is, you're like, hey, yesterday's yesterday, today's today. Jesus got up and kept the scars. No covering them for him. Why did he keep the scars? And again, the short answer goes something like this. He did so in order to prove who he said he was. He, he said he was going to uh, uh, save the world by dying and then rising. And he dies and then he rises and he says, look, it's me, people. It's me. See the scars? You see them? He did it to prove who he said he was. The Christian story is not, uh, does not end in death. It ends in life. And this is foundational. The, the, the powerful moment. Um, that we read in the scriptures a while ago where the angel comes and rolls the stone away. He didn't roll the stone away so Jesus could get out. He rolled the stone away so that you and I could look in and go, man, this is, this is the thing right here. And Christianity is founded on, it has to be founded on this linchpin. If, if it's not true, then the whole thing falls apart. Either Jesus got up from the dead or he didn't. And if he did, the world has changed. And if he didn't, let's just go on about our business. Let's go eat lunch right now. Christianity is founded upon this, that Jesus has died. Yes, 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 but also that he has risen. Well, that's not the Christianity that I grew up with, some people would say. Like, that's not the, like, I grew up with a Christianity that was like, hey, there's some bad stuff out there, don't do those bad things. And there's some good stuff over here, do those good things. Or there's some places you don't want to be. Or, and there are some places that you do want to be. Be those places, don't be those places. Or there's a person that you don't want to become and be like, and hey, here's a person that you can. Do. And so you grew up with a list of boxes to check or rules to follow or whatever. And I'm here to tell you this morning, based on the authority of the word of God, listen, Christianity is not about bad people becoming good. It is about dead people becoming alive. That's the message of Christianity. That's it right there. It is foundational to our faith. That is it. He offers, Jesus um, offers, as he has come back from the dead, he offers a life um, of eternal consequence and character, uh, and, and eternal character that cannot be overcome even by death. The Bible calls that eternal life. And when that happens, when people get that, we have the same response as the disciples did. Again, at the end of verse 20, then the disciples were glad, or some translations, full of joy when they saw the Lord. Their response can and should be our response. What was that response? Joy. Why were they so joyful? Why were they so glad? Because they thought um, for a while there that they had been on the wrong horse. Oh goodness, we thought he was the Messiah, but here he is, he's dead. And then all of a sudden they're in a room trembling with fear and who shows up the guy that they bet on now that's pretty profound right there he just shows up in their midst and he says to them hey listen just touch me it really is me and they're like it really is you everything that they thought that they had wrong Jesus by his resurrection proved that he was right all along 
And so because of this, they were rejoicing. They, they were just filled uh, with gladness and joy. And, and, and there's a better than average chance that you're sitting within arm's reach or so from somebody who's been affected just like that. Somebody whom uh, has, has seen, if you will, Jesus and who understands this. Somebody uh, who has been overwhelmed by this reality that Jesus has died and that he has risen. And, and to them, and to them, um, it, it affects them. There's this gladness to them. Even when they're going through hard times, even when they're struggling, even when it doesn't feel like there should be hope, there's this gladness to them. Um, anybody ever... Uh, okay, so back in the day, let me just put it this way. Back in the day, anybody have the headphones that actually fit, like the Walkman headphones that hit, fit over your head? Anybody remember these? Right? And you could always tell when people were listening to music because they had a big Walkman thing on their hip and they had these headphones. And then came smaller and smaller headphones and eventually you got Bluetooth stuff that just fits in your ear and whatever, whatever, whatever. And now you can see people going along all the time doing like this and you have no idea what they're listening to, don't you? I mean, you're like, hey man, what you listening to? They're not even listening to you. They're just walking along, kind of going to their own rhythm. And maybe they've got stuff in there. The the cool thing for me is when people don't have anything in their ears and they're still just doing, like they've got some music going on in their head. Like I got a family member like this. What are you listening? What are you jamming to? Like back in the day, it was a little bit easier to see. Uh, uh, Not so much, not so much now um, to, to understand that they hear music that you don't. They're grooving, if you will, to something that you can't hear. And the reason I say that is because there are probably people within arm's reach of you right now who may be grooving to music that you don't hear. Who, who this has been such a profound, life-changing experience to, to know that Jesus has died and he has come back from the dead. It gives them a rhythm inside of them, a music. It gives them a joy that kind of keeps them moving. A friend of mine says it this way, Christianity is music, it's not math. Some of us approach Christianity like, well, you know, if I could get all my questions answered, then maybe, just maybe, I would believe. Christianity is music, not math. Um, Certainly, there's math in it, right? There's rhythm, there's beats, there's one, two, three, however you want to count it out, but... I would just say it this way. Um, you, in the same distance that I would say to you, you're sitting by somebody who's been overwhelmed by this and conquered by this, this message and, and is responding in joy. So in the same way, you're sitting by somebody who's an engineer. I mean, really, like the, the place is chock full of them here. And there's nobody in here who hears that music and says, yeah, but this really doesn't make sense. It makes sense to them. There's a rhythm to it. There's a groove to it. And people express that kind of question this way. Well, but Jesus doesn't really say some things that I, I mean, he, he, he says some things that I don't necessarily agree with or necessarily like or whatever. The, the answer is, if, if Jesus, to me, the answer is something like this. If Jesus came back from the dead, he deserves a hearing on absolutely everything. And if he didn't, why worry about anything that he said? Well, I've got some real questions about how the Bible talks about this or the other. Listen, the, the Christianity as a project doesn't hinge um, or on how many days the earth was created or what the uh, view of sexuality is or anything like that. Christianity hinges on whether or not Jesus died and he rose again. And if he did, then the rest of it has a framework in which it can make sense. 
You can, if you see someone dancing to music you can't hear, maybe worth asking, hey, what you listening to? The story continues. We'll skip a couple of verses down. Um, Verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So Thomas wasn't in the room when he showed up the first time. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails um, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. That sounds a little bit like what we just talked about. Hey, I don't really get this. I don't understand this. I'm not sure I understand. I'm not sure I believe. Um, And in verse 26, uh, eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas with them this time. Although the doors were locked, so same scenario except Thomas is in the room this time. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be to you. So here we are, Jesus showing up again, same message as before. Then he said to Thomas, hey, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. This leads me kind of to this second word, this scars idea. Why did he have them? Why did he keep them to prove who he says he was? And that leads to this second word, the word pursuit. And I want you to notice just two things about this this pursuit of Jesus. Number one, he's very patient in this. Look at it again in verse 26. Eight days later, eight days later. So when Thomas went mouthing off, well, if I don't see his hands and feet, Jesus could have showed up and been like, Thomas, can we get over this and move forward, please? Eight days later, he waited. He waited. Eight days later. Um, And and not only expressing patience in, in, in specifically those eight days, but also patience with the person of Thomas. Well, unless I see, he's okay, all right. Um, Why why? Pull that together because some of us approach Jesus like, hey, you're not doing what I thought you would do. You're not saying what I expect you would say. I have some real questions here. I want to say this to you. Even in your doubt and your skepticism and your questions, he still pursues you. That's important because some of us come to Christianity, come to religion, come to Jesus, come to church, come to Easter, and we're like, hey, put on my best clothes. I'm going to make sure that I look good in the picture. And, I can, and then I'm going to go on about living my life. Like that's, this has nothing to do with my real life. I'm offering to you that Jesus comes in hot pursuit of you today. Christian, non, he comes in hot pursuit of you today um, so that you understand he's after you and your real life. With all of your questions, with all of your doubts, with all of your problems and your hangups and your shame and your guilt, all the, he's after you. You don't have to pretend for him. He'll just show up. He's patient in his pursuit. He will wait, as a matter of fact, for the absolute best time in order to get your attention. Eight days later, when they were gathered together, he said, for some of you, this is that moment. For some of you, not yet, you're going to have to crater out. When you hit bottom and everything's just crashed and bleeding and fire and everything else around you, finally, you'll kind of come to and go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. He will wait for the absolute best time in order to grab your attention. He's patient um, in his pursuit of you. Um, It doesn't have to be at the bottom. Let me say that. But it could be. It could be. 
And, and the second part I want to highlight is simply this, that, that it is a, not only a patient pursuit, but it's a, it's a pursuit that has a power to it. His power. In other words, Jesus didn't need permission. Like he showed up in the room and the door was locked and nobody was like, hey, Jesus, come on in. Let's unlock the door. No, he just showed up in the room. He just showed up. And, and I say that because um, he can go anywhere and he can go places where no one else can. And that's good news for you and for me because we have brokenness in places that no one can see and no one can go except Jesus. We have, we have a shatteredness about our lives and a ruin about our lives that no one else can go. And frankly, frankly, uh, some of us don't want others to go. No doctor can fix this. No lawyer can fix this. No lover can fix this. No parent or kid can fix this. No counselor can fix this. As great as all of those people are and as helpful as they are in certain situations, Jesus shows up in the room without permission and good news. He can show up in your life and do things in your life that nobody else can do. He does not need permission. He doesn't need permission to show up in the room. He doesn't need permission to call Thomas out. Hey, Thomas, why don't you uh, come over here and touch me? Just put your name. Thomas in that moment is like that kid, you know, who's blathering on in one room. Well, he's talking to his brother or her sister or whatever. Uh, Well, I tell you what, if mom and dad, and mom or dad comes around the corner, I'm sorry, what, honey? What'd you say? And all of a sudden, like, I don't know what to say here. Thomas is like that. He's like, uh, well, I was just kidding, sort of, about that thing. Cause we do. He shows up, and he doesn't, he doesn't need Thomas's or anybody else's permission to call him out. In fact, he doesn't even need somebody to inform him about what Thomas has said. Jesus knows. That's profound today because Jesus knows you too. And Christian, wherever you're struggling right now, you follower of Jesus, wherever you're kind of walking with a limp, Jesus knows. You don't have to pretend. Somebody who's not a Christian in here, you're not a follower of Jesus. Listen to me. Jesus knows every bit of your life. Here's the incredible thing though. He still pursues you. Think about what that says about him and how much he loves you is he knows absolutely everything about you. That thought that you had about that guy who cut you off in traffic and you, the, the, the question that you asked out loud, you didn't mean to, but you did, about the person that you work with and on and on. He knows everything about you. And yet still, he pursues you. It, it is a pursuit so powerful that it overcomes your sin and shame. And lastly, just to ponder this, Jesus didn't need permission to command Thomas to believe. So he says, hey, even in this, he's like, here's my hand, here's my side. Go ahead, touch me, man. Go ahead, bring this on. Jesus is the one in control here, not Thomas. And then um, at the end of verse um, 27, he says, do not disbelieve, but believe. And what's Thomas's response? My Lord and my God. He didn't need permission to command him to believe. He is the one who sets the terms of the relationship, not us. He is the one who looks at you today and says, don't disbelieve, believe. He's the one who looks at you today and says, you've trusted in many other things. Put those things down. Instead today, believe. This is a message that has been true for 2,000 years. 
It is a message that is being right now celebrated by people all over the world, some of whom are celebrating in caves so that people don't come and slaughter them all. Um, just this morning, uh, there, there was a, a bombing at a Christian uh, um, a place of worship in another country in Sri Lanka. I think of 138 people who are There are people who are worshiping this risen Jesus all over the world today, and they have been for a couple of millennia now. Why? Why? Well, because Jesus is powerful in his pursuit. I, I know many of you saw this um, this week. Notre Dame, uh, Notre Dame, excuse me, um, not the university, the cathedral. Uh, Notre Dame caught on fire, burned, and this is one of the first pictures uh, that came out of that. How many of you saw this picture on the news media? Um, and many of you posted on social media and stuff, and, and it's, it's true. You can burn down a place. You can burn down a religion, you can burn down an organization, and the cross will still stand. It's true. And I only add to that this, and the grave is still empty. The the cross, 2,000 years later, the cross still stands as the only way that anybody gets made right with God. Jesus himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said. The cross still stands. And church family, the, the grave is still empty. We have life today, not religion. We have life today because he has been raised from the dead. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask that God would speak whatever he needs to speak to us this morning. And um, we'll have a minute to respond and even sing a song together, and, um, and then we'll be dismissed in just a moment. But right now, would you pray with me?